Thanks. Thank you, Craig. Poets and romantics are often seen as uh, kind of useless, always with their heads in the clouds, dealing with passions and emotions, not practical, useful things. The Greek philosopher Plato banned them from his ideal city, saying that they served no useful purpose to society. Now, fortunately, I have never been accused of being a romantic, unlike Craig, and uh, as we've heard, you know, I'm the kind of guy that might buy his, uh, his wife a can opener for her birthday because it was practical and we needed one. We, uh, Tammy and I never go out on Valentine's Day. I get my Valentine's cards at the Dollar Tree store and maybe the candy too. I don't know where you got yours, Craig. <laughs> and flowers are limited to the selection by the checkout of the grocery store or gas station I go to on the 13th. Now, right now, you might be feeling sorry for Tammy, <laughs> but I am not a total romance Scrooge because I do watch Hallmark movies with her. <laughs> Some say a guy could lose his man card for watching Hallmark, but if Tammy wants to watch a romance, well, I'll do it. Even though I know the plot to most every Hallmark movie ever made. An unlikely couple meets and falls in love, pure romantic walk in the falling snow, the obligatory cup of hot cocoa, and the surprising to everyone except the audience first kiss. Then with 15 minutes left in the show, something disrupts their happy romance. A new job in a far off city, the return of an old flame, a secret that's discovered. Hearts are broken, but with just three minutes left, love wins out, the couple reunites, and it ends with the big wedding scene and the couple living happily ever after. And if you wonder why I know all of this, it is because I have seen, man card or no man card, way too many Hallmark movies. But don't knock me. If you claim that you're not a romantic, either. But I want to ask you, how much music do you listen to? Unless you're a KTIS-only person, a lot of the songs you hear are about romance and relationships. There's a study done of 50 years of the U.S. top 40 hits, and they found that two out of every three songs are about love and attraction. Another study said it's as high as 85% of all the songs pumped out by the $50 billion music industry. Somebody must love a little romance. Actually, a lot of people do. Romance is the number one best-selling type of fiction when it comes to books. And the number one best-selling type of nonfiction is religious and inspirational books. So romance and religion are number one. And where can you find both of those in one book? Well, it's right here, in your Bible. You may not remember this because I don't preach very often on this, but there is one whole book in the Bible that is nothing but romance. It's just one big love poem. It never mentions God. It doesn't talk about the history of God's people. 
It's not a worship song or a book on theology. It's simply a celebration of one couple's love for each other. Now, Plato might consider such poetry useless, but somehow God didn't. It has two different titles. And some Bibles call it the Song of Solomon, and others the Song of Songs. And this has to do with uncertainty about the author. Because is this a song written by Solomon or about Solomon? It's not really clear. What is clear is that this is a poem about two lovesick romantics who are passionately in love. Listen to these uh, more mild verses out of the Song of Songs. The man says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. I tried that one on Tammy. Didn't work. <laughs> your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. I don't, know, I don't understand that one. <laughs> your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like twin fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I'll go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Like I said, these are some of the less racy verses of this, this song. <clears throat> in uh, a confirmation class, the students once read verses from the Song of Songs, but they didn't know that it was from the Bible, and I asked them afterwards if this kind of poetry should be read in church, and they said, no way. And I said, why not? And they said, it's not appropriate. They said, it's not about God. It's too uncomfortable. It's too sexual. Funny, why do we consider it appropriate to read in church about David killing Goliath, about shipwrecks and civil wars and Cain murdering his brother Abel and all sorts of awful things like that? But then we say, ooh, this mushy romantic stuff, oh, that's not appropriate for church. Save that for Hallmark. It raises the question, how did this get in the Bible in the first place? How is this godly? Well, there are two answers to that. The first is that love and romance are one of God's good gifts. God created love and romance to bless us just like he created all the other things that we enjoy. Remember how it says in the very story of creation in Genesis chapter 2, this is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife and they became one become one flesh. Human love and attraction are part of God's good creation. God looked out over all creation and he says, it is good. And so by definition, it's godly. And remember Jesus' first miracle? It was turning water into wine to bless a couple getting married in Cana. Jesus says that he came that we might have abundant life 
And that includes love and romance and all of God's other good gifts. Think of the stuff that we normally associate with Valentine's Day, like bouquets of flowers. Flowers are the least practical gift that I can imagine. They do nothing, and they don't do it for long. They're dead in a couple of days. And yet their simple beauty can, can lift somebody's spirits when they're ill. They can touch the heart of someone you love, or they can brighten any room on a gray February day. On the practical level, flowers are useless to us. But they're a beautiful blessing to us nonetheless. And here's what amazes me. I always thought that flowers were bright and beautiful to attract the bees. But then I learned that, that bees see in ultraviolet. Take a, take a look at these pictures. The, those beautiful yellow sunflowers up at the top are the same sunflowers as those kind of black and purple white things down at the bottom. The top is how we see them. The bottom is how bees see them in ultraviolet light. They don't have to be yellow to attract the, bee, the bees. They don't have to have all those beautiful colors. So what are they there for? Now, perhaps the yellow is for us. Just another one of the useless little things that God uses to bless us. Those beautiful yellow flowers. Or there's Valentine's chocolates. God didn't have to create anything as delicious as chocolate. Really, God didn't. And yet, we have chocolates and strawberries. Oh, when you put them together and you dip the strawberry in the chocolate, now we're talking. That's amazing. What a good gift. And music. Last week I mentioned how David's music calmed the troubled soul of King Saul. Good music is a gift. Not just hymns and praise songs, but love songs and all the other kinds of things that, that we sing about. It's a gift. So one of the reasons that the Song of Songs is in the Bible is that love and romance, like so many of the other gifts from God, are a blessing to be celebrated Something to lift up. Strange, though, how we've, over the years, developed this strange notion of a separation between the big, important God stuff and the little things we think have nothing to do with God. Where did we get the notion that, that if it's not hard and serious, it isn't of God? As if God's stuff is all bread and water, crosses and nails, Boring songs and boring books like Leviticus and Numbers. A good racy love poem just doesn't seem to fit a serious God. And yet here it is, right there in God's book. It's there to show us that God is a God of abundant life, of joy and song, of love and beauty and even romance. It's all part of God's good gifts to us. And that includes the simple things like watching a Hallmark movie or getting a Valentine. Remember how we heard a few weeks ago? The Bible say, take your everyday ordinary life and offer it as a gift to God. 
Well, that includes those valentines and love songs and poetry. What part of your life do you consider kind of useless, of no consequence, something that God could neither want nor use because it's not important enough? Well, think again how God could use that part of your life, how God could use someone like you, poet or not, romantic or not so much, to bless his world and to thrill at his good gifts. And of course, the greatest gift of all is Jesus Christ. And that's the second reason that God gave us the Song of Songs in the Bible. Theologians have seen in the intense love of this song a reflection of the intense love that God has for us and that we have for God. Between Jesus and his church. As the man and the woman in, in this song rejoice in each other, so does Jesus. And the church rejoice in one another. And share a love that's so deep that it can only be expressed in poetic ways, even romantic ways. Like calling Jesus the groom and us the church his bride. Do you remember those parts of scripture? That's a romantic image and the Bible uses them. What a poetic way to describe the love that we have for Christ and he for us. John the Baptist, he pushes this uh, image even a little further when he describes himself as the groomsman watching Jesus and his church exchange their vows. When John's friends got upset that everybody was leaving him and going to follow Jesus, John said, hey, don't worry about it. He said, it's the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at Jesus' success. Like the couple in the Song of Songs, Jesus is passionately in love with you. So passionately that the Bible uses the poetic imagery of a couple professing their love. In fact, this love of God for you is so great that the Bible ends almost as if it were a Hallmark movie with a big wedding scene and then living happily ever after. I don't know if you ever caught that. Turn to the very end of the Bible and read those last couple of chapters of Revelation. You'll hear about the wedding. The wedding of the lamb. The lamb is the groom. And the lamb is Jesus. More poetry. Chapter 21 starts out this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. <clears throat> the lamb, the groom, and the bride, us, the church, are part of a great wedding. In chapter 19 it says, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The Lamb is Jesus, and the bride are those who have been saved by the Lamb, the followers of Jesus. And that's me and you. We are the bride, poetically speaking. It's us and Jesus at this great wedding 
at the very end. And the story really does end happily ever after. Because chapter 21 says further, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. A wedding and a happily ever after. It's just like a Hallmark movie. Except this is reality. This is a promise from the God who loves you. But before the big day, there's plenty for us to do. All of us. And if God can use poets and romantics who write mushy love songs like the Song of Songs to accomplish God's purposes, God can certainly use you in the things that you like. So how might this Valentine's Day be an opportunity for you to celebrate with something that, that you love and bless somebody else? To help them to see God's love because of sharing a little something that you love, whether that be chocolates, or whether that be a song, whatever it is, how might God use you to show some love to others? Could be as simple as a valentine. And how might you get ready to live happily ever after with Jesus? Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, remain in my love. Mm. That's a pretty sweet thought for Valentine's Day, isn't it? Whether you're a lovesick romantic like Craig or not. Jesus loves you with the most inexplainable love. And he wants you to remain in his love forever. Let's pray. Oh God, all the good gifts of this world are like a Valentine's gift from you to us. We may not get a card. We may not have a, a thoughtful and sensitive spouse who is hopelessly romantic, filled with great Valentine's ideas. We may feel like we have no one at all. But we have you. We have the Lamb. And you have planned a wedding for us. And a happily ever after. So God, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. To dwell in your love. Help us to show it to others. May they see by our actions, by our words, by the way that we care, that there was someone even greater who cares about them, whose name is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Amen. Amen.